We met here this morning for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So let's remember each other in prayer, and uh, remember Judy, who has hurt her back, so Kim is home taking care of her. Of course, remember Alice, remember Leslie, who will be operating on for the third time on the 20th, and... Uh, Remember our country and uh, our presidents and uh, one another. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of coming to you in, in silent prayer. Thank you for the privilege of making known what we think. And then the marvelous grace on your part. You will listen and you will know what we should or should not have prayed for. And you will give us a perfect plan. So thank you, and guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, don't forget the prayer list on the uh, organ over here to my left. Don't forget one another. And and again, remember our country. Alright, now for announcements. We will have it. 6.30 6.30 a prayer meeting on Wednesday and then at 7 o'clock we will have our Bible study and uh, we're going to be continuing in the book of John uh, we're getting close to uh, uh, in our Second Timothy lesson so closing out today perhaps we will perhaps we won't depending upon what the old pastor up here does but uh you remember each and every one of you, one another, and uh, that'll be 6.30 prayer meeting, 7 o'clock Bible study. All right, now with reference to another aspect of worship giving, I punched the button up here and you can see the scriptures 
Again, uh, two scriptures that summarize New Testament giving. And uh, one says, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. And uh, that certainly indicates that uh, if you want to give and God hasn't blessed you for whatever reason, uh, you can still give. But if you have something to give, of course, uh, <clears throat> the next verse applies. Don't give unless you can do it uh, with the right mental attitude. Second Corinthians 9, 7, Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So we have a prayer list, as you know, over here to, the, to my left. And you know about giving, goodness knows. Uh, <clears throat> we've had that chart a number of times, and I've mentioned it in, uh, because of the fact we do have, a, as you know, not only a website where we have the written and the audio lesson available to anyone who wants to see it, but now we do have a podcast and it's got a number of lessons on it already. In fact, yesterday I put the doctrine of uh, authenticity of the Bible on to replace one that I wasn't pleased with. And it was 28 pages long. It took me one hour and nine minutes uh, to get it on. But it is on now. And I am proud of it now. So uh, I listened to it and thought, oh my goodness. No, 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 no. Do that again, cowboy. And uh, I did indeed. So uh, you can go to the telephone and you can listen and and in many cases see uh, <clears throat> the lessons and specials. I've got one more special I want to do and it's going to be a dandy, dispensations. So it will take some time, but... Uh, uh, we have had already, since we just started it, we've already had now nine downloads uh, of uh, the podcast. So feel free, if you will, to listen as you choose, to come if you choose, and uh, make application of giving as you choose. And in that regard, we'll have a moment of silent prayer. I want to ask God's blessing upon both the gift and the giver. And... Uh, uh, then we'll uh, close that moment of silence and you make application as you see fit. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of permitting us to come together to worship. Now, I would ask a very special blessing of, upon the rest of this service and certainly upon the gift and the giver. And uh, ask that you would guide us, direct us, help us to use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary and Thus, uh, be as spiritual as we will ever be.
and thus teachable. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for our music this morning, we're again going to go to a recording. We have a recording uh, of Come by Fount of Every Blessing. So, Ken, if you would, go over there and let's see what we have. Thank you, thank you, Emily and Tommy. We had a trio there. We had a duet, and then Tommy supplied another part for us. So, absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. All right, now then, let's uh, see what can we can do with Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. Uh, we have covered the doctrine of crowns as a result of this study. We've looked at the Greek etymology of Stephanos, and we've looked at the doctrine of dying grace. So now we will continue, and I assume you'll use 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. Sometimes I think we get a bit ritualistic and uh, give opportunity to use it. I would suspect you need to use it from time to time. 
and certainly pray for your preacher as I attempt to do the very best job I can. All right, for a written and or audio copy of the lessons, please go to westbankbiblechurch.com and click on streaming audio of services or go to our podcast, which uh, you can also find. Now, I want to review some of that learned last week and then begin new material on page 2. Let's review, first of all, the NIV of 2 Timothy 4, 6, 7, and 8. It says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Continuing our review, at the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema, crowns will be awarded. The Bema was a place where a king, a judge, or a procurator might sit to adjudicate a matter or reward an outstanding athlete or military hero. It is from the Bema that the judge would issue also punishments, or as we noted, rewards. So it was at the Bema during the Isthmus Games that a winning contestant received the special reward called a Stephanos. It is to this analogy the New Testament speaks when it describes church-age believers appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10. In the word judgment seat, there is in the Greek, Bema. So the word Bema appears many places in the New Testament. Jesus was taught before Pilate's Bema, for example, in Matthew, as we studied, 27.19, in John 19.13. An old Herod Agrippa made his final speech from a Bama in Acts 6, 21 through 24. Then we have the governor of Achaia who judged Paul from a Bama in Acts 18, 12 through 16. And then Paul was brought before a Bama, Bama as the judgment seat that Festus used on his, when Paul was on his way to Rome and declared himself uh, a Roman citizen and in need of trial at Rome, not in uh, Jerusalem. And the year then was A.D. 58, Acts 25, 1 through 12, and we studied that, as you know, last week. All right, Paul describes the events taking place at the Bama where crowns are awarded. 1 Corinthians three eleven through 15. And again, the Greek word, as we noted, was Stephanos, and we did a etymological study of that, uh, noting how it was used elsewhere and how uh, we applied it to our doctrine. Then we got into the doctrine of dying grace, and again we'll review it. Dying grace describes that time when we move from time to eternity and the greatest of all possible happiness. Psalm 68, verses 19 and 20. Our death is God's sovereign decision. His timing is absolutely perfect. There is what we call the sin unto death. It is reserved for the habitual reversionist. I briefly reviewed that and told you how you can find it in our doctrine of health and healing. Primarily in our study of James, uh, we find that uh, there is such a thing. Then uh, dying grace is only for the believer. In God's eyes, precious is the death of his saints. Psalm 33, verses 18 through 23. 
excuse me, 22, and then we also find it over in the Psalms in Psalm 116, verse 15. All right, dying grace describes the crossing then of the golden bridge from time to eternity, Hebrews 11:13. In summary, grace is God's genius for dealing with man in order to provide all God has determined in his divine decrees and that after having seen the beginning and the end and all that transpired, transpired in the interim. All right, grace is all that God is free to do for mankind on the basis of the cross without in any way compromising his integrity, uh, his character. Of course, is perfect, and it is God's plan for mankind, uh, the when and the how of, of, of dying. So there is, of course, more than one definition of grace which we looked at. All right, verses 9 through 22 represent a conclusion. Here we go. Uh, This is new material now. Verses 9 through 22. NIV, do your best to come to me quickly. Now keep in mind, I know you know this, but for those who may need a review, uh, this is again Paul writing to Timothy who is in Timothy in Ephesus, Paul in Rome, and uh, he is uh, awaiting his execution. And uh, it's difficult to tell just how much he knows or what he is expecting. So for uh, verse 9, here we go. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful for me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You, t- you too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed your our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through, though the, excuse me, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every attack and I, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Uh, Eubulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. All right, now let's slice this giant pachyderm into edible pieces. Uh, first of all, verse 9, 2 Timothy 4, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. This verse is not a desperate plea for help. Paul simply knows Nero is not happy with Christianity, and thus Paul believes his execution could very well be imminent. So an expanded translation of 2 Timothy 4, 9, it says, Timothy, I order you to come quickly to see me. And uh, hey, we're going to do a, a little bit of exegesis here just to keep you in practice and me in practice. 
But it says, do thy diligence. That is a translation from the verb spudo. Spudo means to do something quickly, something fast. It's harsh. It's an aorist active imperative. And you remember from our previous studies, an aorist imperative and a present imperative are both a command to do something in the future. So why do we have an aorist imperative? In order because it wants to communicate to you that it's a command, all right, but it's a command to do one time. If it had been a present imperative, it would mean you do it over and over and over again. And that's the only reason we have that type of declension. All right, then we have uh, to come, which is a translation of the verb erkomai, a very often used verb. It's parsed as an aorist active infinitive. So again, with the aorist infinitive, the infinitive, infinitive always describes a purpose. But with the aorist, it means the purpose done once as opposed to present infinitive, means purpose done several times. All right, it's modified by the adverb taketos, meaning shortly or quickly, and it's followed by the prepositional phrase pros, me, which means face-to-face. Pros means face-to-face, and of course, you have the accusative singular here, me. So, unto me. So, so much for that verse 9. Now, let's elaborate on the above exegesis, In the next three verses, we see why Paul wants Timothy to come. We know this because verse 10 begins with the explanatory particle gar, which means for you see by way of additional explanation. And then the next three verses provide the explanation. So for you see, Damas hath forgotten me, having loved this present world, and departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. All right, clearly, Paul needs the company of Timothy. The aorist imperatives certainly indicate he needs his visit for only a short time. All of this probably indicates Paul anticipates his imminent death, although you can conjecture otherwise, other meanings, uh, difficult, but uh, uh, certainly a short time is not that difficult to conclude in our translation. Now let's go to the KJV 49410. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Damoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, uh, Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. And of course Dalmatia is uh, Yugoslavia. Alright, it is possible given Damoth's destination, which is Thessalonica, and I'm going to conjecture here. I want to provide an early warning, uh, perhaps, to the Thessalonians and how it might therefore be related to Damas. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 1, 2, and 3. We've been over you. Remember, that's the New Testament scriptures that describe eschatology. And so he is sending him there. So a question is, uh, you can <clears throat> certainly have a question about what's he talking about. Could Damas be an eschatological deceiver, or is Damas just a believer who has changed his priorities, who has begun to think like an unbeliever? When a believer goes into reversionism, he often takes Satan's plan and implements it, and Satan takes hold of him and makes sure he does Satan's plan. So what we do know about Thessalonica is that Paul was concerned that somebody would write a letter, an imposter, and forge his name, or that somebody would come and indeed uh, uh, say that he 
believes that you're in the tribulation. In other words, he sets forth the doctrine of, of, uh, of uh, unfortunately, false doctrine that the church is going to go through the tribulation as opposed to a tree position. So that's just conjecture. Uh, was Damas the guy that Paul was warning them about? Notice again Second Thessalonians 2, 1, 2, and 3. It says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, that's the rapture, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, some report, or some letter proposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. That would be the tribulation, of course. And uh, he says, Don't let anyone deceive you. In any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And you'll remember our study of again, the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, reading to verse 1 through 10, uh, which we have uh, on more than one occasion uh, studied, because it's an excellent eschatological series of verses on, es- again, eschatology, which is the only time you find that done in the New Testament. A marvelous uh, uh, gathering together of Old Testament and, and uh, prophetic revelation type doctrines put into one place. And uh, who would that have been that he was worried about? Well, perhaps. Just conjecture. In other words, when I give you something and that's not for sure, for sure, I, my duty to tell you. All right, now let's think of the potential connection then between Damas and Second Thessalonians chapter two verse one through ten, the question was: Damas, the one who spread the spurious rumor that the church was going through the tribulation, and of course that's what Paul speaks to in his again verses one through ten in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Don't be afraid; you're not going through the tribulation now. This is just some nut who has come to you, or perhaps. Damas could be Demetrius, uh, who appears elsewhere later on in Scripture as a false teacher uh, in one of John's books. So let's go on now with Crescens. Crescens is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. So that's important to know where he's not. And he is not mentioned elsewhere. Now, Titus was a fellow laborer in the work of the Lord. We're taking every one of these people that are named in these verses he was a fellow laborer in the work of the Lord with the Apostle Paul. You know that because he wrote the book of Titus, or he received the book of Titus as Paul wrote him a letter. We must develop our biography from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the book of Galatians, Titus, and Paul's second epistle to Timothy. We can conclude that Titus was closely associated with Paul at Antioch and that he accompanied Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to resolve the issue of grace versus legalism. Notice Second Timothy four eleven and twelve. Only Luke is with me as we continue now our study uh, of these verses all the way through the end of the book. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable for me or to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. All right, Luke is with Paul, certainly as his physician. Also see the doctrine of Paul and his preparations for the second missionary journey, particularly Paul's argument with Barnabas overtaking Mark on the journey. 
And we have a doctrine of Paul. It is very, very lengthy. And you can find it under Pastor Merritt's study books. Who, uh, my my uh, uh, son-in-law counted them again and says they're over 500 now. So uh, a lot of information there. But you'll remember the problem. Second Timothy 4.11 Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee for he is profitable for the ministry. And you'll remember the problem on the, on the first missionary journey. Mark refused to continue with Paul and Barnabas and he went home and uh, Paul never did forgive him. Excuse me. Paul didn't forgive him at that time. But this series of verses indicate he has at some point in time forgiven him. But uh, they had uh, Barnabas, you remember, and Paul had a contretemps, if you will, a big-time argument. Uh, uh, they were going to go on the second missionary journey, and, and Barnabas said, well, I want to take my nephew, Mark. And Paul said, no, you're not taking him. And then uh, uh, they argued, and they argued, and finally Barnabas said, well, I'm going to take him, and I'm going to Colossus. You can do whatever you want to, Paul. And Paul said, okay, I'll take Silas, and we'll go so God got two missionary journeys out of one because he got the two of them fussing and a fighting. But uh, here we have evidence Paul forgave him at some point in time. All right, look at Second Timothy 4.11 again. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. Notice, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So what happened in between, we don't know, but we know there was a resolution perhaps of the controversy between the two. So in verse 11, we'll put a comment or two in, in our lesson plan. In verse 11, it is significant that Mark's name appears. This verse speaks to a restoration of Paul and Mark's friendship. Recall when the second missionary journey was taught, we noted there was a division between Paul and Barnabas over the taking along of John Mark. John Mark's mother, by the way, was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and uh, she was uh, quite a lady. Now let's go to Second Timothy 4.12. Then it says again, Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. Well, we can surmise that Tychicus' command to go to Ephesus and Timothy's recall to Rome may indicate a change of command or, or simply a plan to provide leadership while Timothy visits Paul. And it's just conjecture, but uh, we can make some possible conclusions. Alright, Tychicus appears four other places in Scripture, but his importance is best seen in his work with Paul as a trusted messenger. Tychicus was a co-worker with Paul who would have been able to help the Colossian believers understand and apply the apostles' teachings in the letter, that is the letter to the church at Colossus. For more than two years during his third missionary journey, Paul ministered in Asia Minor among the people of Ephesus. This was a successful period for the apostle to the Gentiles who saw many converts among both residents of Ephesus and visitors to the city. I provided you a map which shows you the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I would simply point out to you where Colossae is or Colossae and uh, where Hierapolis is, and where Laodicea is. Uh, there was a preacher named Epaphras who was the preacher at Coloss, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. Those are all about 16 miles apart. And he walked <coughs> uh, from one to the other. And, of course, uh, Coloss is about 100 miles 
east, if you will, of Ephesus, Colossus being where the church at Colossus met, at Philemon's house. So one of the visitors, let's go on and get a few points here in the lesson plan itself. Uh, we taught the book of Colossians before. We taught the book of Philemon before. And you certainly can find those uh, elsewhere. So in the book, that let's go ahead now and, and uh, uh, see what we've got written here. One of the visitors converted under Paul's teaching was a man named Philemon, but he was a slave owner from the nearby city of Coloss or Colossae, as it's also pronounced. Uh, and uh, we have quite a bit of information about this and the man in our doctrine of slavery, which is on the internet. We have the, what's taught about the slavery in the Old Testament, what's taught about slavery in the New Testament, and then a, then a doctrine of slavery. So we have a lot of information there. Now, in the book that bears Philemon's name, and I, again, as I said, taught it earlier, Paul addressed his beloved brother as a fellow worker, a title given to those who served for a time alongside Paul. Clearly, a kinship existed between Paul and Philemon, one that would have served a significant purpose in light of the circumstances that brought about the epistle to the church at Coloss and, of course, to Philemon. Philemon also had a son, Archippus, as I recall his name, who was also a pastor. So he learned a lot of his information from Epaphras, who was the pastor there, about what was going on in the church. Uh, But a slave by the name of Onesimus had escaped from his owner, and his owner being Philemon, and had run away from Colossus to Rome in the hope that he would disappear in the urban environment. So he made quite a trip. He ran away and perhaps stole some money, as we know from our previous study. And he went all the way over to Rome. And uh, God, of course, had a purpose for him. And that is to find Paul. So he ran on to Paul. Paul was in prison. You remember at a villa over there under the Praetorian Guard as his keepers. <coughs> and uh, uh, he once... Now let's go on point 19. Once in Rome, Paul learned from Onesimus his history and former relationship with Philemon and the church which met there at Philemon's home. So I would have liked to have been there when that happened. And they got to talking, sitting around drinking a cup of coffee or whatever they did. Uh, and uh, Paul found out that, uh, oh, you're from Coloss. Yeah, I was a slave over there. I couldn't stand that guy Philemon. Oh, really? Oh, and that church, a uh, bunch of legalists, you know. Uh, they was da 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 you know, yada, 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 as they say on Seinfeld. But uh, the point being, uh, uh, so you know Philemon, yeah. And he said, I ran away. And uh, he said, well, you know, you shouldn't have done that. The law says you have to stay with them. You're not supposed to do that. And he said, well, no, I couldn't take it anymore. You know, I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, so they conversed and uh, he worked with Paul, uh, Onesimus. And they did a good job together. They were a good team. And uh, so finally Paul, and I don't know what caused it, why he decided to send him back, but he decides to send him back. And the messenger is Tychicus. We'll get around to our subject here in a minute. Tychicus, who went with him with the letter to Philemon. And basically the letter said, here he comes. You know, Here he come now. But he sent him 
And uh, with the letter, and we of course have the book of Philemon, which basically speaks to the letter, but he in essence said, here's your slave back. Formerly he was a slave, but now he's a helper. And let me tell you how he did. He worked so hard with me, he took your place. While you were over there having coffee and cookies and tea and jam, etc., etc., he was working as my helper. Now I'm sending him back, and I know what the law says. You can whip him, you can kill him, or you can release him. And I'm not going to tell you what to do. Because you see, Bible doctrine in your soul ought to tell you what to do every time. You make your own judgment. But I'll tell you, he took your place and he worked with me and he's no longer just a slave. He is a slave and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ himself uh, and can work with you there. But it's a very interesting book. Uh, I loved it when I got to teach it. But uh, let's go on. See what else we got here. So in AD 60 or 61, from a prison cell in Rome, Paul wrote a personal letter to Philemon and sent Onesimus the slave back to Colossus with the letter. Tychicus accompanied Onesimus. So we could say two reasons. One, he took the letter. Two, he had an explanation. And three, he made sure he went back. All right, Paul's message to Philemon was a simple one. Make a decision and make it from Bible doctrine in your soul. All right, Paul made a request. He wanted Philemon to forgive Onesimus. I think we can certainly gather that as we concluded in our study earlier, much earlier, by the way. All right, so Paul made a request. He wanted Philemon to forgive Onesimus, to to accept the slave as a brother in Christ, and to consider sending Onesimus back to Paul as the apostle found him useful in God's service. Paul did not minimize Onesimus' sin. This was not some small request from Paul. All right, no, and by the way, we don't know exactly what this decision was, but I can certainly conclude what I think. And I think he accepted him back and, and uh, he worked with him there. And maybe he sent him back. We just don't have a record of that. All right, no, there was sacrifice required in this request. And because of that, Paul approached the topic with gentleness and care. His letter to Philemon presents in full color the beautiful and majestic translation, excuse me, transition from slavery to kinship that comes as a result of Christian love and forgiveness. All right, Acts 20 verse 4, and they accompanied him into Asia. We're continuing now no, with, with another verse. We finished with, again, uh, Philemon's story in Tychicus and what what we have in the scripture with reference to Tychicus. Alright, Acts 20 verse 4, And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Alright, 16.21, as we talk more about Tychicus, we'll find other places where he is mentioned. Uh, and um, that's... Um, what we have now on page 7 as we continue our study. All right, here we go. Are you ready? <coughs> and there accompanied him into Asia, so Pater of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. All right, Acts 6. 21, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do 
Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now Titus 3.12, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, uh, for I have determined there to winter. Now when you see Nicopolis, you have to know that's in northern Greece, and that's where Paul was in between the first and second imprisonments, and where he is rearrested and sent down to Rome at Mamertine Prison. But there's Tychicus again. All right, now let's uh, resume the study of the elephant, if you will. Let's go to verse 13. It says, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. Carpus is not mentioned, by the way, anywhere else in the, in the New Testament. So we know little. When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. And I suspect he had several books that he had uh, been using. But then he perhaps was writing on parchment. I don't know, but... I suspect knowing him, I believe he would have been continuing to work with Luke, Luke being his manuensis, which means a, a one who takes dictation uh, in writing. Uh, so anyway, we, we did mention Carpus that not being found elsewhere. All right, then you have Alexander the coppersmith, did, verse 14 now, did much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. All right, then we have verse 15, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath withstood our words. Now, we earlier studied uh, how Alexander was most likely the royal disciple of Paul when Paul preached against the production and worship of Diana. You remember they were making statuary of Diana and they were worshiping the statuary. So when Paul got to Ephesus... He, uh, of course, preached against uh, the making of the statuary, and this caused great, a great deal of problem, because this was the the livelihood of so many, many people, and so as a result, there was much uh, protest. And Paul held his ground; he continued to preach against that. But Alexander is mentioned in that story, by the way. Alexander is is such a very, very common name, it is difficult to determine the exact identification of Alexander mentioned as Paul's chief adversary. Now that Paul was not supported but was repeatedly forsaken by avowed enemies and former friends is made clear in these last several verses of Second Timothy. All right, let's look at Second Timothy 4.16, 4.17, 4.18, and 4.19. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes on in verse 17. He says, Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. All right, let's just first identify Prisca, who's also Priscilla and Aquila, by knowing where their names appear in other New Testament books, and then we shall do the same with Onesiphorus. Uh, there is an Aquila Creek and there is an Aquila town in 
up and down Waco, and I bought a, a bull one time who was named Aquila. And uh, Aquila King was his name. Uh, he was a registered uh, Angus bull. Uh, but that's another story. But this we're not talking about the bull here. All right. Let's go with Acts 18, 1 and 2. And it says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, a province of Asia Minor, lately come from Italy, where he had been, uh, and of course he was with his wife Priscilla, and uh, he had to get out of there because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto him. Claudius, you remember, took Nero's place, and he was a very brilliant guy, wrote a lot of histories. Uh, but uh, he knew Rome did not need rebellion, and Jews were always rebelling. Everywhere they went, they rebelled. They rebelled, and so he ran them all out. Said, "Get them out of here." Plus, they were, they were, of course, uh, standing against all the multiple gods that the Romans worshipped. So it was not pleasant. So he chased them out. Well, it was all in God's plan and His program, just like all things today are in His plan and in His program, and it's up to us to accept it. All right, because that's what Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 6 tells us. Submit to authorities. Submit to your bosses. Submit to your pastor teacher. Submit, submit, submit. Oh, we've got a doctrine of authority and I'll not get into that one right now, but uh, it's important to know. All right, now let's look at verse 24 and 25 of Acts 18. And a certain Jew named Apollos. This is shows. This will show you how helpful Priscilla and Aquila were, because Apollos showed up. He was a man born at Alexandria, Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures. And he came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only though the baptism of John. He knew nothing about Jesus per se, and so Aquila and Priscilla will take him under their. You might say, <clears throat> take him into their house, actually, and uh, teach him uh, more. Let me read 26 now. We'll read through verse 27. It says, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. The guy didn't know much, but he was going to preach. He was going to teach. And he needed to know more. So whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him under them, took him under their wings, and expounded him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass unto Achaia, southern part of Greece, the brethren wrote concerning the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through and by means of grace. All right, now look at 16.3 in the book of Romans. Greet Priscilla, or, excuse me, and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Alright, now verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 16, the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you. Much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So now you have a little information about Aquila and Priscilla and how they related to Apollos, etc. Alright, now let's go on and see what we can learn about Onesiphorus. He appears one other time in scripture where he is said to be a friend of Paul's. 2 Timothy 1.16, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. So you can see uh, how useful he was, just that Paul could have somebody come and visit him. All right, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. 
So now we need to take a look at Erastus. Let's see where Erastus and Trophimus appear elsewhere as a helper of Paul and a public official in Corinth. It's interesting to know what type of official he was because you have two different versions of it, of what he was. And we'll see a little bit more of that as we go on. But let's go on now with Erastus is mentioned in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, as city treasurer. Another place is he said to be in charge of public works. Just depends upon the translation of the Greek, and they're not real sure. All right, that, that is the experts. All right, now let's go to Acts 19, 22, 23, and 24. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, that be northern Greece, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About this time, that was in that first missionary journey when he started to return. At that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, there's a way, the truth, and the life. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. And, of course, you know, that also would cause a problem. Okay, now let's look at Romans 16.23, Gaius whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. So we have it mentioned here one time, Quartus, and we have, of course, Erastus again mentioned. Uh, and then we have in Acts twenty-one twenty-nine. where Coming down to the close. We're getting close to the finish line, folks. So, you know, raise those knees and uh, uh, don't give up. Acts twenty-one twenty-nine. They had previously seen Trophimus, or previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. And, of course, Paul had not done that to our knowledge, but he was said to be brought in there. And they raised Cain about that because he was apparently a Gentile. Uh, now, Trophimus also traveled on more than one of his missionary journeys. That is Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, and now for verse 21, where we find four other names mentioned by Paul. The four names appear nowhere else in the New Testament. Uh, <clears throat> do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. And then the conclusion ends with verse 22. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And then I'm not sure I put in a map for each of you, but I wanted to at one time. Oh, I had a nice one already, and I had put it in, but... You can see the general map of Asia Minor. I hope I put one in your lesson plan. But uh, it will be, of course, on the Internet so that people who are, who are listening, either by the, the uh, website or through the podcast. Now, that ends our study of the book of Second Timothy. Next week, we're going to begin a study of the Matthew 13 parables. And uh, we will uh, uh, have you a handout on that. I've taught the Matthew 13 parables before, many, many years ago. Uh, and they're excellent parables. 
And the reason they're so good, my opinion, they're in the scripture, that makes them really good. But also, it's, they're explained by the Lord Jesus. In other words, uh, he gives you the parables, and then you have several scriptures, and then you go over here, and he explains the parables. And they talk about the kingdom primarily. And uh, he has, remember, the tares and the sower and the tree and all of that. And uh, it's very, very interesting. And I thought, well, I'd like to do that again. So I'll just take the prerogative of the chair, if you will. And uh, we will have a handout and we will take a look at that. And you'll see some very interesting things in that first uh, uh, parable where... Uh, you remember you have the the seed that fell on the asphalt and the bird came around and got the seed and so nothing happened. The devil is the bird. And the devil doesn't want anybody to know about the seed because the seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so nothing happened with number one guy, you know. Then it has number two guy. Then it has number three guy. And uh, you have to know were they believers or unbelievers, and what's he's talking about? And what about that last guy, you know, who really did produce? But what did he produce? Well, we found out he produced what God wanted him to produce. In other words, uh, some will produce one hundred, some two hundred. You know, God has a program and a plan. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, be the maximum producer in the congregation. It depends on what God wants from each and every one of us. And that's just a little preview of the Matthew 13 parables. And as you can tell, I've been working on it. And the reason I don't go to Luke because it's, it's only explained there in Matthew. They all came to him and said, Lord, explain that to us. We don't know what you're talking about. You know? And he says, okay, sit down and shut up. And uh, he lays it out for him and lays it out for him and lays it out for him, you know. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll do that. But for now, let's close us close out our study, and let's do it with an invitation. Uh, as you know, Paul was quite a witness his entire life, even when he was in prison. And uh, uh, this is a story about the imprisonment. This is a story about people who came to visit him, people who he wanted to come. Some he did, some didn't. He didn't work to be done, so forth. Uh, but they're all believers except for one, and that's conjecturing. Maybe not uh, with reference to Demetrius. But uh, it's it, it's very, very difficult to make that decision, and really none of our business. You know, it's absolutely nobody's business whether somebody believes on the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Nobody's business. But it is the business of all of us to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asketh you anything concerning the hope that is in you. And that hope is, I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I so look forward to dying grace, which we covered. When I'm going to go across that golden bridge, and you're going to cross that golden bridge someday yourself, and go to ecstatic happiness. Why? Because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are people out there perhaps on the podcast or maybe in the uh, on the internet who haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we want to make sure you know how to do that. And uh, we have a lot of different versions of how to do that and doesn't make any of them right or wrong except you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You may wrap it up in all different kind of 
ribbon, etc. But uh, and different kinds of ribbon. But there's one thing as a certainty. It's simple. And the simpler that you can keep, that you can stick with just the gospel, the better off it is. So what is the good news? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. As many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him Jesus, the iniquity of, of us all. You know, he came unto his own. What was his own? His own was Israel. But his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The word is powerful. So we really need to keep it just as simple as we can. What must I do to be saved, said the jailer. It was either Paul or Silas. We don't know which one. Responded very quickly. Not with a lot of jargon. Not with a lot of theological uh, hoopla. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, your head bowed, please, your eyes closed, and you pray that the Word of God would have full effect. Right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can simply, just simply, tell the Lord, I'm believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and on the promise of the Word. You will be saved. I will now pause for just a moment and recommend that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now. It's time. And then I'm going to close with the benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study Your Word. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.